Hey everybody, Stephen Scullion here. It's Friday, so it's Ask Skull Friday. I'd forgot about this this morning, and I put up a different podcast just about recovery. I did actually say I was going to run today, but I just, I just don't see the point. I already know the outcome is going to be tight right hamstring specifically. The left one still isn't great either, but that right one is just—it's just not ready yet. And I guess this was. Not necessarily my plan going into the podcast, but what I've learned is if I'm going to give you guys advice that says if you know, if you're 80% sure before leaving the house that something's going to hurt, don't leave the fucking house. You know what I mean? That's like common sense, but yet we all, we all do it. You know, we all, we all go out there and we try. And then what ends up happening is you try, it hurts. You're disappointed with yourself for trying. And then not only that, you're disappointed with yourself for not having, call it the willpower, whatever you want to call it, to just not go. And so for me, and I talk about this all the time, like this idea of I'm an animal. Me being an animal today is just knowing not to go out the bloody door. Let my legs rest a bit longer and let my body recover a bit longer. And yeah, that's what... That's that's all I can pretty much say today. I was hoping I could go run. I was hoping I'd come back and feel pretty good. And maybe like that would only be like four days off and all the rest of it. But I think today, yeah, I think today it's important that I just rest again. I give my body a bit longer. I've got physio this afternoon. Um, and there's no rush. Like, And I, I mean that for everybody. It doesn't matter that like perhaps I'm running really well. And so like, more so there might be no rush for me, for example, but I just don't think there's there's any point in rushing anyway because I always preach that you're only as good as what you can do tomorrow. And so if today's gonna hinder what you can do tomorrow, you shouldn't do it. And I run well because I build consistency, not because I build individual days. And so yeah, today's gonna to be a rest day, so kinda of sucks, but it is what it is. So I'm just going back through some questions here. I don't know where I got up to. I think this is where we're at. I think 18th of January. What does your race day nutrition look like? And do you take, and what do you take during the race? Loving the podcast, go smash it this weekend. I don't think I answered this. So this is Scott Brady on Twitter. My race day nutrition is the Morten gels. Um, Morten gels and the Morten drink. I I'm lucky to be sponsored by Morten, but I can I can tell you now that it wouldn't matter if I was sponsored or not. It's it's the best stuff on the market right now. The best marathoners in the world are using it. It doesn't have all the sugary and and this kind of nonsense. So it's not it's not nice. It's not not nice. It just tastes like nothing if you've tried it. And and at the end of the day, I'm not running a marathon to drink a nice drink every five k. I'm running the marathon for absolute excellent performance. And so it works perfectly for me. There's no upset stomach. Um, it packs carbohydrates. Like I actually used the 320 gel at Houston, which packs carbohydrates. And yet again, no stomach problems. Obviously, my problem at Houston was um, I couldn't drink enough of it because my bottles kept closing and my hands were too cold to squeeze the bottles. But look... Every 5K, I apparently once every hour, you can absorb 90 grams of carbs. 
in one bottle of this drink, there's 80. So if you can drink a bottle over the hour, it's supposed to be good enough. If you combine that with a gel, you're laughing. There you go, Scott. Hope that answers your question for you. The morning of the race, I had a small bowl of porridge and half a banana. <clears throat> okay, Mark. After listening to you talk about lactic testing, training, and its benefits, have you moved away from that type of training completely? If so, why? Great result in Houston. Congratulations. The best is yet to come. Um, have I moved away? No, absolutely not. Um, we We know, I know from doing... So I not only do the lactic testing, I'll do, lactic testing to me is beneficial, yes. However, what what does eight times three minutes on a treadmill tell you if you're looking at a marathon? So if I were you, I would start with the eight times three minutes and I would talk to a physiologist about that and, and get that set up. Most physiologists will do eight times three minutes, which is maybe like six or seven times three minutes, maybe not as much as eight. Sometimes then um, other physiologists that I've worked with in the past, we've done something like once you've done the eight times three or the six times three, you'll go on to do maybe six times six minutes and that'll be, or maybe four times six minutes and that'll be around the kind of values that it was giving you. So if the test gives you a tempo pace and a threshold pace and a marathon rough pace, et cetera, et cetera, what then you can do is you can explore that further. And let's say for me, for me, it used to give a threshold at like like 19.5 kilometers an hour, let's say um, 19 to 19.5 to 20.5 for the half marathon and then 18.5 to 19.5 for the marathon. So what we would go on to do is and I spoke to the physiologist about this recently was like that. I just think the. Essentially, I think the physiology test is horseshit, right? Because three minutes, we race a marathon for between two to five hours. So what does three minutes on a treadmill really tell you? Um, so I asked the physiologist about this. I was like, hey, like, you know, like just because I could run for three minutes in the lab at this speed does not mean that I'm going to go out there and do it in practice. So my my idea and the physio sorry the physiologist's idea was hey like why don't we do like we haven't actually done this yet but why don't we do once you figure out rough values then what you do is you go either a kilometer or half a kilometer an hour slower maybe even a kilometer you do 30 minutes at that speed you track your heart rate if you're lucky enough every 10 minutes you should track your lactate and then you do let's say your speed is 16 kilometers an hour for three minutes I think you should do 15 kilometers an hour, three times 10 minutes. No, basically no recovery except for writing down heart rate, writing down your lactate if, if that's available. Then you do 30 minutes at the speed, 16 kilometers an hour. Then you do 30 minutes, maybe half a kilometer an hour faster. And if this is around your marathon pace, you should absolutely be able to handle 30 minutes. And what you end up getting is a, is a much cleaner graph that shows exactly what's happening to the body after like 30 minutes at that sort of an effort. And so from all my physiology testing that I've done, and I've done heaps of it, like I've been on these treadmills for eight miles, 10 miles, um, and I get all this data. And the, the biggest thing that I've picked up from all this data is that even after 40 to 50 minutes of exercise around 165 heart rate, my lactate still stays pretty low. And that's, 
And that kind of tells me that I can run at between. I ran Houston Marathon. My average heart rate was 164. If you're looking at minus two degrees Celsius, that's that's very like that's roughly about right. At London Marathon, it was 170 beats per minute average. And I think that's because it was hot. And so my heart rate was elevated because of that. It's not just telling the running story. And so I actually do still use the physiology. I think you've got physiology in the lab and then you've got physiology outside. It's up to you to work out the difference. Physiology in the lab, there's no wind. There's no allergies. There's no nothing. Perfect. AC, all the rest of it. Physiology outside, hills, gravity. <laughs> gravity exists in the lab. Hills, you know what I mean? Like you, the, the treadmill isn't assisting you. There, there is definitely a difference, but very, very useful, Mark. So maybe tap into that. Connor Diver, what foods and quantity of foods and hydration do you recommend the week? I feel like I answered that one in the last one. Yeah, maybe I, yeah, no. <sighs> Yeah, I think I answered that question, but I, I talked about you could only absorb an extra five to six hundred calories. And, and actually before Houston, I didn't go crazy with food. And um, again, maybe did that lead to the hamstrings? Did I? I think if nah, I definitely didn't, because then my quads would have got banged up, too, if I ran out of glycogen. But I didn't um, I didn't go crazy. I just had an extra bowl of porridge, I think, the day before. I talked about the fact that you're tapering, et cetera, et cetera. So you don't have to go crazy with that. The hydration, I did say that for two to three days before is when you should start hydrating, sipping on electrolytes and, and maybe mixing leucozade with water or parade with water. Okay, Jim Wilkinson, Ask All Friday, how should tempo runs be in comparison to race pace? Are short sustained efforts better than longer efforts for short races? Example, 15 minutes on rather than a straight four, five, six mile drive. Um. Okay, this is a this is this is an interesting one because tempo people throw out the word tempo all different ways. I again, I feel like I answered this one. Yeah, I think I did. Sorry, I'm I'm confusing here. But in case anybody didn't listen, I do think it's a good question. So let me touch on it. Tempo for me can vary anything from a 22 mile tempo, which is or 24 mile long hard run, which. Tempo, kind of tempo, more threshold, depends on your vocabulary. I would do that at, I actually, in this build-up, I was doing that 15 seconds per mile slower than marathon pace on race day. But actually, I think that was too fast because it was also at altitude. And I think that might have been one of the reasons I banged my hamstrings up. But I'm going to tell you that, to, to not get too specific, I'm going to tell you the tempo... Depends on your level of training. When I was, when I was a, a younger kid and I was like maybe 18, 19 and I was first coming into running, I was still a good athlete, but there's no way I could do the kind of tempos then that I do now. And so what I'm going to say is it's nothing to do with your age. It's to do with your training age. If you're in the first year of being an athlete or maybe you're in your first year of including tempo into your training, I honestly think it's fine just to do blocks three times, 10 minutes, six times, 10 minutes for the marathon, um, five times, six minutes for the likes of a 10K or a half marathon. Look, it's better. It's better first to improve the speed of tempo. And when I say tempo, it's anything dependent on the length. But the word tempo should mean that whatever length of time you're running at it, you should be able to have a three to four 
word conversation. You should be able to run along next to somebody, and if they talk to you, you should not be thinking, fuck off and stop talking to me, I'm tired. You should be thinking, yes, we're at a good effort here, I'm in a good place. And that, and that goes as, if it's going to be a 20-mile tempo, well, you should probably be able to have a, almost a full conversation. And if you can't, you're just pushing too hard. And and so tempo tempo is the grey area between I'm starting to work too hard, I'm gonna fatigue, let's slow down, and but I'm still working hard enough that I'm getting a pretty good effort out of this. I don't necessarily believe with tempo there's uh one shoe fits all. Some people prefer pretty hard tempos, some people prefer to just be a bit more relaxed. And I don't think that I think that's fine. I think it's just upbeat running that isn't killing you, but it is it's making you strong. All right. Did I answer this? Ireland Run Chat. What is your general outlook on sports physiology and what one strategy or thought has the, had the most impacts? Finally, would you recommend? I, I definitely answered that, so I need to move on. Sean, have you any intentions of racing in Ireland this year? I know you did the Omaha. I know you did the Omaha Marathon last year, followed by the Titanic 10K the next morning. Any plans to visit the Northwest in the future? Guys, I actually don't know. I, I I really hope I am racing in Northern Ireland. And it's funny, like, I, I I would race in anything from the really popular Titanic 10Ks to I would go to five-mile races on Friday nights. And, and it's just because I love racing. And when I'm home especially, I love to get out there and, like, go see everybody. And, and I tend to get lots of compliments at races, so that's quite cool. Um, But I don't know is the answer. I hope so, but it just depends how my schedule maps out over the next few months and if I'm going to be in America or not, so I'll, I will update you on that. Wayne Morrow, just had your podcast recommended last week, loving it. Ask Golf Friday, been running for 10 years, but I've never done any gym strength work. Can you point me in the right direction to get me started? Most effective exercise. So I've had, I, I haven't done strength stuff myself, buddy. I, I actually was, I was given a program in 20, 2006 when I first joined the Sports Institute and then I was given a program recently about four or five months ago um, there was nothing in the interim in the middle so I've seen the professionals that I've been around are doing gym two to three times a week in different forms sometimes um, in the form of weights proper weights squats and um, split squats, deadlifts, and um, power lifts, all sorts of gym. I've also seen seen very, very, very good fifteen hundred meter milers who are Olympians not touch the squat bar or the squat rack or the power stuff or the Olympic lifting, basically because they just get hurt. So it's weighing up whether or not this is going to benefit you or not. When I when I started a weights program, it it was not. It was not to gain power or speed or it was just to be slightly stronger and slightly more robust so that maybe one day I could do 16 weeks of the kind of training that creates a really world-class result. At the minute, I can't quite squeeze that kind of a 16-week block out. I'm talking every two weeks, a long, hard run, you know. And, and at the minute, I, I can only do three or four of those in the build-up. And by the looks of things, this build-up, I might have done one too many, which is maybe why the hamstrings didn't love life. So my general advice on that would be have a little think yourself about what breaks down when you're training. I think if you're going to include gym, it should be because you think after three months of gym, you might be able to handle 
10 to 15 miles a week more and feel as fresh as you do right now. In terms of exercises, I do single leg squats. I do, this is body weight, body weight squats. I do very light 40 kilogram squats with the bar. I do glute bridges, very, very important. I do clams, the walking, walking theraband walks like clams, um, crab walks. Have a look at those things like that. I think that would be a good start for you. Um, if you want, send me a message and I'll shoot you the gym program. Um, which is probably will actually change now to include more hamstring stuff. Okay, Milbury, having just run a freeze in 214, kudos, and having previously said you already felt fitter, capable of 212 to 213 on a flat course in ideal weather, do you believe you could run 210 in your career? It's very, it's very hard to say. Like, I, I remember I was talking to the journalist about this yesterday, and uh, logical speaking, after London's 215.55, if I was thinking logical about that day, it was a very, very hot day. I ran the race by myself, um, start to finish by myself, really, really hot day. Um, it should have been maybe a sub 215. Um, looking at Houston, it was freezing cold. I did take a wrong turn. I did make a bit of a mess in my bottles because of how cold it was. Not necessarily my fault. Um the hamstring side of things. Yeah, like I think I was right in predicting that the fitness was sitting around 212 to 213.30. However, that was that was ideal conditions, ideal day, sitting in a pack for 20 miles, you know. So like, and I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a poor prediction. In fact, I doubt anyone listening to this right now, no matter how cynic you might be, I don't think you'd fault me there in saying that if I didn't go the wrong way, and it wasn't freezing cold and 13 mile per hour winds and I didn't mess up my bottles. You can probably see how I could have ran to 13.30 that day. So what I'm going to say is I average 90 mile a week for Houston. Maybe that's my sweet spot. But maybe if I can handle 105 um, and I get I get a Berlin course and I get 50 degrees Fahrenheit and I get one mile per hour wind, then who knows, you know, but actually I kind of want my career. I just want to be the guy that can run between 211 to 21230. If that's my limit, I just want to be able to do it all the time. You know what I mean? I just want to be able to knock that out every every time I race one. And I just become that guy that is so consistent around that, around whatever time becomes my sort of peak. Okay, next question. Dermy. Oh, I can already sense you're, you're, you're looking for your fishing here. You and Paul Pollock had a bit of table tennis tweets regarding the qualifying standard. Can you shed any light on what it means, Houston time, and also GB Irish athletes going for times at London? Look, see, to be honest, nobody knows right now what's going to happen with the Olympics. And and Houston, Houston was set up for me in the past 20 years. There has been a qualifying window. 20 years, probably the last since the Olympics existed. The qualifying window has always started on January 1st, right? January 1st of the year before the Olympics are going to take place. So that that in itself is really important to bear in mind. In, I kind of messaged Paul on, on Facebook and I was pretty pissed off. I actually told him that I thought he was being a bit of a knob. And I thought that like he, he had complimented me, but then he had sort of took the compliment back by kind of like suggesting, hey, but it's not going to count for the Olympics. And, and then... 
one of my friends sent me a picture that like at, on the 1st of January, Paul had actually put on Instagram that the Olympic window qualifying window had opened. So like, I think it was just a bit, I think Paul was generally being informative that it might change. However, as it stands, there's a point system in place that started on the 1st of January. Um, if the point system is taken away, it will still start on the 1st of January, but it will be a qualifying standard. That said, the people in charge of the IOC, uh, our International Olympic Committee and the IAAF can do whatever they want. They've done it in the past, but it would be the first time in history that the qualifying window didn't start on the 1st of January the year before the Olympics were due to happen. It's 18 months before the final day of selection, which is usually May or June, a couple of months before the championship. So, yeah, I, I don't even know. what would January to January would be 12 months. Then February, March, April, May, June, July. July would be 18 months out. So, I mean, the race itself is on August 6th which is still within 18 months of Houston Marathon. So, look, I think it's going to be all right. Um, it is what it is. I think I think it definitely... I, I think the guys looking for fast times in London, it will absolutely count. Um, the, the Doha qualifying window went back to, I think, March 2017. So London just about counted. But again, if you look at that, the... The championship for Doha is in October, so it's a couple of months later than the Olympics. So, like, let's go March, March to April to May to June to July to August. I think that's the final selection. I think, again, you were looking at, like, 18 months before the championship. So, look, I don't know is the answer, which is really interesting because none of us know because the IOC can change, the IAAF can change. We just have to wait and see. If I thought Houston, Houston was not the marathon that I want to qualify me for Tokyo. I can tell you that right now. I'm not sitting at home thinking, feet up, don't need to race again. I absolutely have to race again. 2.14.30 is not fast enough. But I don't really care because take, take away the wrong turn, take away the hamstring problems. I'll still be able to train better and run faster. So it's fine. Okay, Brian Harvey, if your marathon pace is 5.07 per mile, what pace do your, do your easy runs recover at? I think easy recovery run for me is like 7, 7.30, but that's at altitude, like 7,000 feet. But I also run at 6.30, 6.40 some days, and it kind of feels like recovery, but I don't know that it's full recovery. So it just depends what you need, Brian. If if you're really, really tired, I think you have to be too... Do you know what? Take speed completely out of it. Put your watch aside and just run along thinking, am I recovering right now? It's difficult to do, but you'll, you'll get a far better judge of your body. It depends if you're sore. If you're sore, maybe you need to run a lot slower because you don't want to stretch your muscles as much. If I had to run today, I'd probably have to run at eight to eight and a half minute mileing just to, just to make sure I'm not stretching those hamstrings. So it's whatever your body needs, mate. I, I honestly mean that. Um, I see Edward Cesaret, who is a 349 miler, 17 time national champion, I believe, in the NCAA system. He runs slower than me most days. And that's not because I'm better than him. That's because the sessions he does are phenomenal. But he respects the recovery days. And, and that, if he, if he can respect the recovery day and run slower, guys, I'm, I'm pretty sure we all can too. Okay. Paul Diver. 
What are your thoughts on the Hansen's Marathon method? Paul, I don't know what the Hansen's Marathon method is, so let me... My laptop's here, so let me see if I can Google that. Maybe I should just Google all my answers, and then maybe I'd be smarter. Training and plan. Hansen's Marathon, the Hansen's way. The necessity of the 20-miler is a farce. Do you know what I'm going to do for you, Paul? I'm going to read about this, and then I'm going to answer it, because I don't want to keep everyone waiting while I read this. I just... I don't, I, uh, it's just going to take me too long to read it, and then I don't want to. I actually, I'm pretty sure I met Kevin Hansen at Houston Marathon, but I can't be sure. I think he was there with Shadrach Biwa. Um, so yeah, let me let me not answer that just now until I know exactly what I'm talking about or I know a bit more. Lee, how do you polarize? Your training week, is it 80-20 slow fast? On your long runs, how many seconds, minutes do you train over your gold marathon pace? Happy Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Um, it's 80-20. I don't really know. I remember it might actually be like 85-15, but it depends. If I'm going to do like a big, long, hard run and it's like 24 miles, well, then if I'm only running a quarter that's like a quarter of my week so that's like that week's probably going to be more like 60 40 if you include i've probably done a session tuesday and friday you're probably looking at me doing 6 12 no no 6 plus let's say 10 on a friday 16 plus some weeks in the biggest weeks you're going to say 16 on a sunday too so 26 32 32 miles of if we work out let's say 90 you're looking at about 33 percent of my week being pretty high quality at or faster than 15 seconds below marathon speed um when i'm doing the long runs it is usually i think 20 to 30 seconds slower than marathon effort in fact i think 20 to 40 seconds slower than marathon effort will still give you an advantage and the reason i think that is because i don't think your body knows what speed you're running it's only your brain your brain is the only thing at the end of the long run that knows whether or not you were at marathon marathon speed but if we start thinking about the biomechanics and the heart rate if you're sitting within 20 to 30 seconds of marathon effort it's probably pretty close so for me if i'm running at 530 per mile for example my, how does my how does my body know that that's much slower than 510 race day or 505 race day? It doesn't, unless your brain starts telling your body that. But what I mean by that is you're, you're getting similar biomechanics, a similar stride, a similar pounding on the ground. I think you can get a lot of the same benefits of marathon pace running that bit slower. And it just decreases that injury risk massively. So thanks very much. What a great question, Lee. Peter Stevens. Do you think it is better to set yourself a realistic goal you know can achieve or something? I'm leaning towards the latter. Sorry, something more difficult, which requires harder work. I'm leaning the latter. I may be disappointed, but want to give it a go. Look, I don't want to like burst people's bubble, but I can tell you I have been far more successful achieving the goals that I know I can achieve rather than I am not. I feel like it's very, and I'm going to say American or it's very like, you know, like shoot for the stars, like like if you never take risks, how do you know if you can be good? And and I'm going to tell you that a risk will pay off one in five times. And that's just not I don't like those odds. I'm a I'm a logical thinker and I'm a I'm a banker. I'm going to go with the safe option four out of five times. 
See, even at the Olympics, I'm not even going to take chances at the Olympics because it's just not worth it. Like, I would rather, I, I really, I'm really inspired by my buddy Andy Vernon, who, who just gets it done. Like, sometimes I used to criticize Vernon and think, like, come on, mate, like, why didn't you just go for it in that race? Or why didn't you, like, get up with the lead group? And Vernon has one of the most consistent portfolios in track and field. And so, like, what career would you rather? Like, it depends what you'd rather. Like, I just enjoy the process. I enjoy doing what I'm doing. I enjoy racing. I enjoy training. I don't want to be injured. I don't want to have disappointing days. Yes, one race in 10 might work out way better than you wanted it to. But I honestly think with consistency in training and consistency in racing, you will get to the best level you've ever got to anyway. That's my answer, Peter. Be smart. Be consistent. I promise you, you'll end up running races in five years' time through consistency far better than you ever dreamed that you're giving it a go would have worked out. I promise you that. JD, Ask All Friday, you mentioned in the podcast you do virtually all your training alone and need to practice running in a group. Is it because you don't like folk directly? Very, very interesting. <sighs> no, it's actually just because there's nobody around that can do the marathon stuff that I'm doing because they're training for other events. So it doesn't usually work out when I'm doing the marathon stuff. But one thing that has kind of fucked me a little bit is that because I don't because I'm not used to it there was a group I was told before the race I was told on the day of the race I was told on the start line there was a group running at 67 minutes I knew it would be windy but subconsciously I still chose to just run by myself and I think it's something I really need to practice I just don't think I like it I don't I get pissed off and I fucking really get pissed off and I'm going to tell you a story now I, I go the wrong way. I come back and I join the group. And this is so annoying. I join the group. They've seen me go the wrong way. And somehow they're sitting on me. And then like, and then there's, there was a pacemaker there. And then the pacemaker drops out. And there was one guy sitting behind the pacemaker. This cheeky little piss rat ends up like slowing down to let me go past him. And then sits on me. And like, this guy's just watched me run 14 miles by myself and then go the wrong way and then has the cheek to come and sit on me. So I think it just pisses me off. But maybe that's just me. I get kind of wound up. I end up thinking like I'm good. This guy will get a punch in the mouth if he keeps it up. And like and then that pisses me off and it gets me in a bad mood and I get all like heated. And and so I don't know. I think I, I just people annoy me and I, I don't know. I find a real joy just banging it out by myself. But it's something I need to work on. I absolutely need to work on that because it's what could lead to me being really good. Dermy, Dermy, you're asking a lot of questions here. I love it. Snacks. We're all fond of chocolate crisp biscuits, etc. What's a good easy snack to substitute? Don't substitute them, mate. Just, just moderation. I remember Andy Vernon banging through a full packet of hobnobs and, and biscuits at night time. You know what I mean? It's not... It's not the worst thing in the world. If you're doing enough training, I promise you, you'll race well. Do you know what to do? Substitute some core work in so that you can eat them. <clears throat> Chocolate biscuits, crisps, they're not going to be what kills your running career. But you do need to burn them off if you are. If you're if you're carrying a few too many pounds or you're gaining a few too many pounds, figure out a way to burn them. But don't don't cut them out. David, sorry guys, I know I'm flying here over time, but um it's my rest day and I need to do something with my day. David, what's your thoughts on compression calf sleeves? 
get tightness in left calf, and even when while with stretching ice activation, it still lingers. Started wearing in bed and considering a pair for training too. I would get a Strasburg sock too. I think that that although it stretches it stretches out the plantar and stuff, but sometimes a tight plantar is what leads to tight calf. So I would I would have a wee look at your plantar. Um, I don't really know anything about calf sleeves to be honest with you, because my calves seem to be all right. What about structured shoes? Maybe you're rolling in a little bit, which isn't helping your soleus. Have a little look at that. Okay, that's all. <coughs> I'm dying because I talk too much. Oh, did one come in? One came in 28 minutes ago. Dermy again. Dermy, I love it. Um, What have we got? Actually, I'm going to finish for today, and I'll pick that up next time. But thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate that a lot.